Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Back Pain Podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Andy Dobinson, who's telling us all about his fascinating insights after having a stroke. So, Andy, should we kick it off? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, guys. No worries. Also joined by co-host Dave. Hello, hello. So let's jump straight into it, I think. Andy, can you tell us what happened to you on the 9th of February, 2017? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of burnt into the back of my mind. So, yeah, so sitting, sitting right here uh, because I work from home and wearing this earpiece on a conference call at quarter to five in the afternoon. Um, no signs, no precursor, no nothing, just instantly at 5.45, um, it was as if someone had lit a blowtorch up the back of my head and pressed every pin in the world into the base of my skull. Um, like instant pain, instant horrific pain. And, you know, the beads of sweat appear on your forehead and literally drip onto your desk. And I was thinking, oh, my God, what is this? But still absolutely conscious and compass mentis to the point where I was was a little bit leaning to the left, but you start and Google and self-diagnose and um, not scared, just quite confused. And, And it came up with peripheral vertigo caused by an ear infection. So I thought, right, okay, that's it. I've got an ear infection from my earpiece because I was on the conference call. So I put myself on mute. Still not scared, just starting to get a little bit concerned and, you know, a bit worried. Thought, right, okay, I'll go to the fix everything cupboard downstairs and get some Nurofen. So I stood up and I was I was holding onto my desk thinking, oof, this, this vertigo is a bit funky. I've never had this before. Um, went downstairs, took to Nurofen, and by the time I turned around from the kitchen and got to the bottom of the stairs, I couldn't walk. So I, I kind of crawled up the stairs and threw my earpiece into the office thinking, damn, earpiece has given me ear infection. And kind of walked, leaning against the wall um, along to the bedroom and uh, lay down thinking, what the hell is going on? Um, starting to get a bit concerned because it was something I'd never experienced. So I, I rang my wife and I said, Nick, I'm, I'm just lying on the bed. I don't, I don't feel too good. And she went, what's wrong? What's wrong? I said, I think I've got a migraine. She was like, oh, you never get bloody migraines. You know, you've been training too hard. Just lie there and have a rest and I'll be back. I'm going to my fitness class. I'll see you at six. <laughs> and luckily, um, I, I drifted off to sleep because, you know, there was, there was two of everything and I was feeling quite drunk. And it's as if someone had given me one of those massive dentist injections and my my face was quite heavy down this side. And I drifted off to sleep, Um, just feeling quite odd. I would say I'm smirking about it now, but at the time it was very, very strange. And the next thing I knew, guys, was that, you know, my wife appeared at the bedroom door and she opened the door and she went, oh, my God, what the hell is wrong with you? And I think apparently I was grey, you know, um, 
not my usual colour. Um, and yeah, that that was it. I, you know, I was lying on the bed and feeling horrifically sick. And luckily, I don't know where it came from, but she'd seen the FAST acronym on Facebook. So she, you know, she said, right, sit on the side of your bed, on the bed. And I, I kind of had to lift my legs around and she went, right, raise your arms up. And she said, say chicken soup. And I had what's called sticky mouth. So I couldn't really talk properly at that point. And she was um, saying, right, we, we, need, we need to phone for an ambulance. And I was like, no, no, don't, don't do that. I don't want to be a trouble. Just ring 111, don't bother ringing 999. But I think the woman on the 111 call recognised there was something really, really wrong here. Luckily, there was an ambulance crew quite nearby. The next thing I knew, these two big guys came in and hooked me up to all sorts. And I remember them saying, whatever they were reading, they went, it's not the worst, but it ain't the best. Um, We need to get you to hospital. So there was one guy either side of me, my, my, my hands were around the shoulders because my, my legs just didn't work and they kind of dragged me out of the house and blue lighted up to hospital. Um, so by that point, as you can imagine, I was horrifically scared about what was going on. And I, and I remember in the, in the ambulance, because you still got your senses about you, I just remember him saying, we've got a suspected stroke victim coming in. Um, so you're taken into A and E, and there's you're just this, these faces above you, and um, yeah, that was the start of what 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 was essentially a stroke. But at that point, guys, they, they didn't know what it was. They thought it was they, they thought it was chronic fatigue. Um, so you know, you're put on morphine, and which was crazy. Apparently, I was acting like a maniac in A and E on the morphine. Like, whoa, this is this is really good. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, test upon test upon test to the point where they went, we, we don't know what it is, but we're going to keep them in. And I was put into the um, critical illness unit for the night and I was just tossing and turning and confused and horrendous sickness. And then in the morning, the test started. Um, so the first one was a lumbar puncture where they put a big a needle in the base of your spine and draw fluid. And it, it was quite comical. Because bearing in mind, I couldn't walk. They went, oh, okay, so we've done a lumbar puncture. Just lie there and don't go anywhere. I'm like, where the hell am I going to go? I can't walk. <laughs> um, then MRI scans. And it wasn't until later that day that I did a CT scan, which apparently um, identifies different things. And they identified a huge clot. It was a, it was a, 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 a clot the size of a plum that had gone up the back of my head and spread. So this was about five o'clock the next day and this this little junior doctor wandered in and went, Mr. Dobinson. I went, yeah, 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 yeah. She went, oh, right, okay, so you've had a stroke. I'm like, what? <laughs> I says, right, just get, do me a favour, get my wife here. And I remember texting her going, Nick, please, I need you to just get here quick. And yeah, that, that, was, that was kind of it. I'd, I'd had a cryptogenic stroke, uh, which means that they have no reason why it happened. They don't know. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a huge clot up the back of my head that um, kind of luckily spread to both sides because it affected both sides of my body. And the rest is kind of history. <laughs> that's a that's a that's wow. an, an hor- horrific story from from your perspective. You know the the fear yeah. that you're you're going through. So was it even though they you know you had that they kind of said to you in any suspected stroke or in the ambulance they said kind of suspected stroke. 
did it still come as a big surprise when that junior doctor said you've had a stroke and kind of confirmed huge, it? Huge surprise because in my mind, young people don't get strokes. So I was a non-smoker. I maybe drank twice a year. I've never been a big drinker. I'm teetotal now. Fit and people like me don't get strokes, or at least that's what I thought. And mm. you instantly think, that's it, my life's done, it's over. I, what am I going to do? Um, so I was, it's, it's, it, it, it's the biggest thing to be said to you that you've, you've got to try and think, right, how the hell do I process this? What's just happened? So, yeah, I, I didn't know how I would... I still can't put it into words. The, the the utter disbelief of having a stroke. Like, yeah. what? What are you talking about? <laughs> Can you remember what your wife said when, when you said, or when she heard it from the doctor's mouth that it's a stroke? Yeah. <laughs> My, Nick being the absolute superstar she is, she just went, we're going to be fine. You, you, you're going to be fine. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with this together. Um, and, you know, hearing that from... You know, did just kind of my hero. Um, without her, I would be a quivering wreck. And to hear it from her, I thought, okay, yeah, it, it, everything's going to be fine. Didn't quite know what that fine was going to look like, and I didn't realise how horrifically hard the process was going to be. But yeah, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> so. Sorry. At least I hoped. <laughs> yeah, no, you're too right. <laughs> so what was the time frame from you, you know, that, that meeting you're in, that virtual meeting you're in to the the, the confirmation there's a stroke? Was that one day, two days, three days? What was it? The... Was, it was basically 24 hours. So the stroke happened a quarter to five on the Thursday and it was round about five o'clock on the Friday afternoon in the critical illness unit where they came in and said, I've had a stroke. So it took them 24 hours to identify that, yeah, it's definitely mm. a stroke and there's a clot on the brain, yeah. And did mm. at that point, were you feeling better than you were before because of drugs and morphine and things like that as well? Had everything calmed down a bit? So you might have been feeling a bit um, better or were you still feeling pretty pretty crap? I was, I was feeling horrifically sick and dizzy and I couldn't focus and, you know, couldn't move my legs. So I, I was, I was settled, I would say, but feeling really quite unwell because what one thing that I remember was this vicious, vicious headache, um, which I still manage to this day. I still get really bad. I mean, today I'm on paracetamol. It's just one of those things, you know, part of my brain has died and it, it, it recovers on a daily basis. So that, that's can, that stays with me. But I remember just having this horrendous headache, but settled, more settled. So, so that almost probably gave you a bit of false confidence, you know, and if, and if your wife's saying that, oh, you're overtraining or they thought it's chronic fatigue, you probably kind of believed them a bit and thought, oh, it's probably just this. And you can justify that in your head that, oh, it's, I have been overtraining and I have been doing a lot recently. So it's probably just that. And then it probably almost when they come in, give you the, the, the bad news. It's almost like another drop kick, isn't it? You know, where it just Yo, takes your wind out yeah. your sails even more. Definitely. And then, and then you know, fr from that point, they take you up to the stroke ward and that's when it really hits you because, you know, there's six of us in this ward and I'm the youngest in there. I was 42 at the time. I'm 46 now. And I'm looking around at me at typical stroke victims, which I'm now one. I am a statistic. You know, people will read about me in a, in a set of statistics and you think, right, I'm, 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 I'm a stroke victim. 
Um, and it's how you process being a victim, which I've now learned what that meant. I didn't know what it meant at the time. Um, but you're looking around at guys, you know, sorry to be brutal here, but there's a whole range of stroke victims, you know, guys that, well, I won't go into detail, but just horrible to see. Horrible, horrible. No, and that's terrifying to see when you're going, yeah, going through that. So as you kind of said before that, you know, you weren't the typical stroke person in your mind. You know, people like you didn't have strokes because you were very fit, you know, very active. Yeah. Can yeah. we talk a little bit about your life before the stroke, before we move on to kind of your, you know, amazing recovery? Yeah, so I was um, I was a, a, an average club cyclist, um, but, but a, a relatively strong one. So in our cycle club, we had different groups and there would never be a day go by. I wasn't in the fastest group. I was uh, an endurance cyclist, so lots and lots of 24-hour events, uh, both on road and mountain bike. Um, you know, I would think nothing of jumping on the bike and cycling to my mother's in Northumberland, which would be 125 mile there, 125 mile back. Um, lots <laughs> of what I, what I label double-doubles, where you do 200 mile on the Saturday, 200 mile on the Sunday. Um, and then I was a time trialer. So my, my speciality or my love was 50 and a hundred mile time trials. And, you know, I, I was 10th in Scotland. So I was reasonably okay. You know, um, reasonably, was I, ab- <laughs> what, was I upset? I don't know if we can describe 10th in country as reasonably <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. I think you're doing yourself a disservice I'm, there, mate. I'm looking, I'm looking at the certificate now, best all rounder championship for 25, 50 and hundred. So yeah, I, I was all right. Um, but I had the attitude, I, you know, I'd, I'd rather have a heart attack than fall off my bike. Bit stupid now on reflection. Um, was I obsessed? Probably, probably. You know, I was probably training six days a week, and I would, I would hate to have a day off. Um, and I still manage that because having days off and resting is not natural to me. Um, so I think I was fit but not healthy pre-stroke. Where now I'm healthy and fit. Um, but yeah, you know, a fanatical cyclist before the stroke. And I just started running. I'd, I'd done one ultra marathon, but maybe in May, I'd literally entered an ultra marathon, bought a set of trainers on the Saturday and ran it on the Sunday. Because um, the guy in the shop said, oh, you know, these trainers will need broken in for three weeks. And I started laughing going, no, that's not going to happen. I'm running 30 <laughs> miles tomorrow. I'm breaking them in tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they will be broken um, in by the end of the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I did it because you know that was me. I will, I will finish this no matter what. But yeah, just just a bit, a bit gung ho, I would say, before the stroke. So, so you were incredibly fit, and I think that's a takeaway for a lot of listeners that you know, and hopefully, what we're trying to get across in this is that signs like which you have, and I know we're going to talk about you know signs that people that people have when they're having a stroke can happen to anyone at any time, no matter how yeah. fit you are. You don't have to be, you Absolutely. don't smoke, you don't drink. You know, you're cycling 400 miles in a weekend. So you weren't just fit, you were super fit, you know. Yeah. I, mean, I know yeah. you, you, you might say average, but, you know, we'll describe you as, yeah, as a pretty incredibly fit person. <laughs> <laughs> and did you have any any family history of, of strokes or, or, you know, clotting disorders, no, my, things my, like that as well? My, my dad had um, a few issues, but no stroke in the family. He was um, he he suffered from quite bad palpitations and was on medication, but not not a bit of history with stroke. Um, and like I say, there was there was no sign of anything. It was it was just bang, it, it, just bad luck, absolute bad luck. I think. Hmm. 
So then moving on to then the recovery. So that, that first day, you've just been told that, yes, you had a stroke and you're lying there. I'm picturing the scene, you know, you wondering whether you're ever going to walk again, I guess, um, you know, kind of going through your head. What was the first kind of steps, you know, into your recovery? You know, was that as much as just sitting up in bed or was walking kind of early on in the cards? What did it look like? Yeah, so the, the first step w- was a mental step and, and, I, and I, I still can't describe where it came from, but on the Saturday morning, I was lying in the stroke ward, you know, trying to wiggle my toes, you know, saying to the nurse, please can I go to the toilet and they carry you there and you sit down and you think, oh my God. But I thought, right, okay, Andy, you know, you've got two choices here. You can either be a victim and let this consume you and you are one of the, woe is me, I've had a stroke, um, or you can just get on with it. And there kind of is only one choice because the alternative, I can't imagine what the alternative would be. So I thought, right, I don't know what it looks like, don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to get on with this. And... um, you then go into this intensive physiotherapy and, you know, Monday morning, the occupational therapists come in and put a knife, a fork and a hairbrush in front of you. Go, right, show me feed you, show me how you feed yourself. And you think, oh my God, is this it? Then you're given a stick and, you, you know, you're helped to kind of shuffle about and can you go up this one step and step down off one step, which I did, but then I slept for the rest of the day. So it's quite intensive. Um but it was a kind of right. I'm, I'm going to do this, um, and it kind it kind of falls into place. I had a phase one recovery and a phase two because of what happened with my dad, and I'll, I'll I'll kind of explain that. But you think maybe I can get back to doing something similar than I did, and the only way I'm going to do that is by getting on with this and putting in that putting in the hours and the hard work, which I was used to doing. I was used to working hard and training hard, so you do it again, but just in a different kind of form. You know, um, when when I got home, the physiotherapist comes and I was allowed, I think it was one minute walk on the treadmill and half a mile on the turbo, right, get off now. That's it. That's all you're allowed. And you go, I've gone from riding 24 hours to riding for a minute. I, I, I'm struggling to process Almost this. overnight, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's <laughs> you, you visit some really dark places, some really dark places and, I, I can I can I can quantify them now, but at the time you're very 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 cloudy, very mm. cloudy. You know, my mm. hours spent throwing a tennis ball between two hands is this my life? Trying to stand on one leg while your wife throws a tennis ball at you and you fall into the wall. <laughs> you know, the, the amount of times I've fallen over is, is comedy gold, absolute comedy gold. So you say that you were really tired, kind of after doing you know basic basic tasks. Was it difficult to do them or was it, you know, when you're standing, we're walking up the stairs and walking up two or three steps, was it that your legs were, felt that they were weak? Was it you were just out of breath? You know, what were the kind of the symptoms that, you know, you felt it that was, made you it, so tired? It was, it was mental fatigue, but also um, nothing talks to each other. So, you know, I've still got to be really conscious that my brain talks to my ankle receptors and my ankle receptors tell my brain what I'm doing. So a lot of work was spent getting getting the wiring right because essentially part of my brain's dead. So instead of going from mm. A to B to C, I might go A to G to Z to F back to B. But that kind of works now. Um, so it was all about relearning. So, you know, standing on one leg sounds really simple, but as a stroke survivor, 
standing on w- one leg is an absolute impossibility until your brain learns how to do that again. Um, but by doing that, the, the extra processing power, apparently I was told, just wipes you out. Um, and there's just, I used to sleep for hours after doing an exercise. I just sit and I'm like, Nick, I, I, I'm, I'm exhausted. I can't do anything. I'm done. And just take myself off to bed and randomly sleep at all hours of the day. It was horrendous. So you're forging those new pathways, really. You're, you're creating new links between your brain and your limbs. Yeah. And I, and I think yeah. I'm still doing that. I, I genuinely mm. think, Dave, I'm still doing that because um, it's been quite difficult lately because I twisted an ankle and it's taken me right back to those memories of, of recuperating my ankle. And mm. although I need to do it, it's horrible being back in that place because I've been back standing on a bossu ball throwing a tennis ball. Yeah. For a different reason. But you think, oh my God, I remember doing this three years ago. Jesus, I don't mm. want to be here again. But yeah, it's just rewiring the pathways. Definitely. Yeah. So your goals then, you know, when you're lying in a hospital bed and you kind of have that determination to, you know, I've got I've got to I've got to do this. I've got to do something. Did you look straight away for I need to plan something big in the future? Or was your goal, you know, very small, I need to be able to get out of bed, I need to be able to walk up the stairs, you know, kind of did you go in in increments? It was increments. And, you know, one of the things I've always said was to stand tall beside my wife again. That was my goal, right? But the phase one recovery was maybe I can get back to doing something. Maybe I can um, pin a number on. Maybe I can be that guy again. But with what happened to my dad, um, so, so I'll explain that. A week after I got to the hospital, I got a phone call to say my dad had acute myeloid leukemia and he was terminal. So that was a kind of focus of mine. I, wa- I want to get fit to be with my dad. And by about May time, I could go down and visit him. And on the 25th of May, he passed away and I was by his side holding his hand. Um, mm. And then I thought, right, I want to carry his coffin. And the, the day of his funeral, or the day before his funeral, I went for what I deemed to be a run, a two-mile kind of shuffle up the road. And I took a turn and I thought, oh my God, I'm having another stroke. But I managed to carry his coffin and it's as if my body had allowed me to recover enough to support my dad and do stuff. And then after the stroke, it was as if my body went, right, okay, you've had a bit of a break. I'm going to take you back to square one. And literally I started from scratch again, but with a different attitude. So phase one recovery, I now call it, was get get well get healthy stand tall do an event phase two was just get better and that was a start of physiotherapy back at the hospital hydrotherapy counseling weeks and weeks of counseling to help me process it tablets you know i was put on antidepressants but i called them anti-anxiety tablets because i wouldn't take depression tablets oh that's not me but as soon as my wife said just think about them as anxiety Give me them all. Give me them. And I was on them for about 18 months, but it helped me just process stuff. But it was with a different attitude of, I just want to get better. I just want to be able to be normal, whatever normal looks like. And I guess you'd already had that, you know, giant leap forward from where you were, you know, from going to hospital bed to, you know, jogging, you know, for two miles down the road, jogging, shuffling, whatever you call it. You know, that's a massive improvement in two Absolutely, months yeah. i guess you know and then to have something so horrific like your dad your father passing away as well you know i can't yeah, even imagine yeah. it, it was a lot to process yeah, yeah it was a lot to process do you see that as a setback in your recovery or was it just you know the, the normal journey of your recovery 
Um, I would class it as normal because it's just... I, there were setbacks all the time. You know, you, you drop a tennis ball, it's a setback. You fall onto the wall, it's a setback. So it was just all part of what was going on. Um, I feel hugely privileged to have been able to support my dad. Um, and I then feel privileged by give, being given the support I was given after his death. So, you know, back to hospital for physio, hydrotherapy in the pool at hospital once a week, speaking to a counsellor, doing my physio at home. If it wasn't for that, I don't know where I would be. So mm. it all happened for a reason, I suppose. Mm. Um, and that's a really interesting way to look at it. The, yeah. the, the biggest challenge was that. Nobody yeah. explains how to mentally deal with it. That that's the biggest one. And that's something you don't really think of when you you know, when you hear about, you know, as you said, you know, you're a statistic, you know, when you hear about people that are stroke survivors and stroke victims and you know, and, and, yeah. and that goes for any medical condition, you don't talk about the mental side of it and the impact it no. has on you know, the, the fear and the anxiety and the depression and the, you know, the all the whole side of that as well, which is such a yeah. massive part of the recovery. And I guess Huge. those little wins that you had, little runs, little cycles, you know, just keep spurring on that journey and keep you kind of moving forwards. Yeah, definitely. And, and, I, and I kind of live by that now. I, I, I try and any small success is a win. And every, I'm sure everyone's got big goals and big goals are great, but if I was, if I back then and still do, if I focus on the big goals, I'll probably crumble because I'm thinking, oh my God, how am I going to do that? But hmm. break it, break it right down. So if I go on a trail run, so I'm lucky enough now, I, I, I can do 50 mile runs. That's where I am now, but it's not through huge, huge hard work. But if I think about doing a 50 mile run, I'll, I'll probably crumble on the start line. So what I do is, right, okay. I'll run to that point and see how, where I am. Then I'll run to the first, next one, then the next one. So small successes are really quite important. And that goes across everything I do. And that's one thing people, I think, need who are in a similar situation. Have a big goal. Great. That's the big picture. But strip it right back to the basics. What will allow me to get to that big bit? Well, I'll just do this small bit today. And if I chucked a tennis ball three times one day and I did it four the next day, do you know what? happy days but if i did it one do you know what it's just one of those days don't beat yourself up about it it is what it is that's amazing advice for anyone that's having any form of injury or, or, or problem and it's something that dave and i we see with our patients all the time you know yeah when someone someone's come in you know they say they've got you know horrific sciatica and you know and that can last for a very long time and it can be hugely mm. detrimental on your life and your mental well-being as well and it can stop people doing you know all sorts of things whether that's playing with yeah. their children whether it's doing an ultra marathon and sometimes it can be very challenging to say to a say to, or to get your head around or oh, it's going to be six months before i'm running again it's going to be a year before whatever and celebrating those little wins actually you know you did a lap around the car park today or you you walked here from the clinic you didn't have to get dropped off outside the front door those little things and focusing on those are really good for that mental well-being so i'm really glad you brought that up mm. i think i think my one of my biggest ever wins i remember it um <laughs> i went for a walk and i walked to greg's to buy a sausage roll <laughs> <laughs> And I remember videoing my feet and I was like, I'm walking like an absolute grown-up human being. And I sent it to my wife. I'm like, look, I'm, I'm walking outside like a, like a grown-up. And it was to Greg's to get a sausage roll. It was about <laughs> 200 yards up the road. But then that was huge 
was the first mm. time I'd walked by myself, no stick, outside in the sunshine. And that stuck with me forever. I've still got the video on my phone. Wow. And the next day, I'll do something different, and that'll be another huge win. But don't just give yourself a pat on the back for the big, important stuff. Celebrate everything that's just... If it's no matter how small it is, give yourself a pat on the back. Amazing. Mm. As well with the the big goals, they could be six months, a year, eighteen months in the making. Um, if you're going to do a, a fifty miler, I mean, you know that, that's going to be months and months before you get a win. So you spend six months, let's say, without any wins. So you've, you've got to take those daily, um, uh, daily smaller wins, and like you said, celebrate them like they're a big win. And you've got a sausage roll at the end of it. Exactly. Fantastic. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, That's a win-win. Do you know, I, th- I think one thing that helps me is how I approach what I do now. So um, I, I was I was hugely active and fit prior to the stroke, but I would be chasing times, positions, wattage figures, where now people might think people might think running an ultramarathon is is extreme. Well, well it is. But I'm not going to be the guy. I'm, I'm, I'm a guy near the back, and I'm fine with that. I don't care if I'm last, because I now do it for the adventure, the journey, the experience, the food stations, the photographs. <laughs> and I've got a completely different approach. And if it takes me twice or three times as long as the guy that wins, I'm fine with that. I'm absolutely fine with that. And that's what allows me to do what I do now, because I do it within what I'm capable of doing. And I won't put myself in any kind of risk or worry for myself or my wife because it's not fair. And if I need to stop, do you know what? I'll just stop. So again, this word failure, if I enter an event and I don't finish it, is it failure? No, it's not. I've just decided on that particular day it wasn't the best thing to do. So do you know what? I'll do the next one. So people need to be careful of using about this word failure. It's not a failure. It's all part of this stuff that you do so yeah again don't beat yourself up if you don't finish something you set out to do it just might not be your day that's amazing yeah so the first time you stuck on a race number um after you know after all this after all this happened to you can you describe the feeling of crossing the finish line whether that was a cycle event whether it was a running event whether it was a walking event you know I can, like? I can, and it, and it's quite, it's quite. Um, it was the Resolution Stroke Association 10K in Glasgow, and it was March of 2018, so a year to the day, a year and a month after the stroke. And my my oldest friend John came up from Newcastle to run it with me. Bless him, and he's such a good 10K and 5K runner. I'm sure he was thinking, "Oh, for God's sake, hurry up!" Um, but I was wearing a Stroke Survivor T-shirt, and. Um, mm. I did it in 58 minutes, which is still not wow. sub-hour for a 10K. Um, and as I crossed the line, my name was announced. Andy Dobinson, who suffered a stroke. And, oh, my God, I, I just nearly burst into tears. So that, that was of huge significance. But then I would say the comeback was in uh, November of 2018. Um, May so and 18 months after. Yeah. 18 yeah, months or so, so yeah. It was Woola Ultra Trail Marathon. It's 29 mile across the Deviates. And it was so significant. It was in Woola. I used to live in Woola as a kid. It was on my dad's birthday. It was in the youth hostel across from where I used to live. Um, Neil, 
he ran it with me. His mum had passed from a stroke. And Alan, who ran it with me, it was the anniversary of his brother's death. And we all ran it. And we did it in about eight hours. And as I crossed the finish line, I just broke down and burst into tears. So that, to me, I, I do it every year, that event. I will never miss the Waller Trail Marathon because it means so much to me. But 18 months after lying on a hospital bed, not being able to walk, I ran 29 miles across the Cheviots. I'm kind of quite... I, I'm, I, I don't mean this to sound cocky, but I'm quite kind of quite proud of myself for that one. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's cocky at all. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, very, very emotional. I mean, just recently I did the lap, 50, uh, 47 mile. And again, you know, you've got the good guy and the bad guy, which I manage all the time. And the guy, bad guy was going, you'll never do this, you'll never do this. And, you know, 22 mile to 25 mile was a bit of a mental battle for me. But as I crossed the finish line again, it, it's really, everything I do is quite emotional now. It's like, oh my God, I've I've ticked it off, I've done it. It's huge. It means so much more now. It really does. Now, when we spoke on the phone kind of prior to this recording this episode, you said something that was, I found quite powerful and really st- stuck with me. And you said that having a stroke was the best thing that ever happened to you. And, yes. you know, that is a statement that, you know, you don't, you wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected to hear from, from most people. So can you kind of elaborate why? Is that just for the resilience that it's given you or? Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's 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 quite deep. <laughs> um, the stroke has made me a more, I'd like to think, a more rounded human being. Um, I, I'm a hugely anxious person, and the, the stroke's kind of exacerbated that, and I, I've got to manage that quite carefully. Um, how, how can I explain this? I consider myself to be a considerate person and very loyal and, and, and a caring person. I like to think. But what the stroke has done for me is made me appreciate people and things more. And if 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 sometimes I could be a bit of a jaggy rock before the stroke, I'm a bit more of a rounded pebble now. And I kinda I trust the process and I and I kinda try and just roll with things now. I don't try, you know, this, I guess a friend said to me a while ago, don't sweat the small stuff. I do sweat the small stuff, but I know how to process the small stuff now. Mm. Um, and I just feel more settled and content, more appreciative. And a, 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 if I can get through a stroke, I can get through anything, absolutely anything. So it is hand on heart. I'm glad I had the stroke. And that's taken me a long time to say that. And I think if anyone else has a stroke, you've kind of got to embrace it because you can't do a damn thing about it. You've had it. You can't change it. So work with it and see where it takes you. Because it can well, be quite exciting at times. That's, yeah. that's wow. pretty pretty powerful to uh, to hear, actually. That uh, it's... As you said, I got really done a response to that. It's incredible to hear you say that, and uh, <laughs> th- thank you for sharing that. I guess kind of the the last thing I kind of wanted to ask was for anyone that's going through that right now, or anyone whether that's a stroke or whether that's anything else, and they're in their dark place and they can't see that light at the end of the tunnel and they can't see that vision that you've kind of you know got to now that place you've got to. Would you have any advice for that for that person? Oh, this is a difficult one, yeah, because mm. it, 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 it's easy for me to say, um, oh, you'll get through it, because at times I didn't. Um, yeah, 
how do you manage the darkness? Mm. Um, again, I, I think I'm big into trusting the process. Um, I'm big now into um, following a bit of a journey and an adventure and seeing where it takes you. But again, it, it's a really difficult one, Rob, because you, the dark spaces are really dark and really cloudy. Um, I suppose you've just got to try and like remove yourself and think, right, okay, where, where do I want to go and what do I want? And how am I going to get there? But... Who's going to help me get there? Don't be frightened to say that you need help. You can't do it. You're not managing. You're struggling. I would never have done that before. But now I'm the first one to say, I can't do this. I need some help. I, I, need, mm. I, I don't know where I'm going. Ask for help. Take help. Trust the process. You will get through it. It might look different and it might be different and you might be a different person. But again, don't fight it. You can't do a damn thing about it. You can't reverse a blood clot. You just can't. And there, there is, there's a different future for you. And let it, let it happen. Because do you know what? It could be really good. It could be really good. That's amazing. It's, it, it, except the things which, uh, except the things you cannot change, and uh, act yeah. on the things which you you can change. Totally, yeah. totally, totally. That's so true. So to round us off then, what have you got coming up? Have you got any, any more events, any more races, you know, any more 700 mile cycles you know, across the world? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, got a, I've got a couple of ultra half marathons in the start of the year. Then I'm, I'm off to Chamonix in June for a week's trail running. Um, yeah. I've then got um, a couple, an event called the Ring of Steel up in the Highlands. But the, the big one for me is Lakes in a Day. It's from the north of the Lake District down to the south. It's a 50-miler. Excuse me. So I'm, I'm kind of targeting that one for November. Uh, sorry, October. Um, but again, if I feel like doing them, I'll do them. If I'm not in a place to do them, I won't. The big focus for me is just to enjoy what I'm doing because and doing it for the right reasons. I won't force myself to do anything. And if, I, if I'm not up to it, do you know what? It's just not my day. So... Um, Yes, there's stuff in the diary, all within reason. But the most important thing for me is just to make sure that I enjoy what I do next year. It's enjoy a, a what good takeaway for life, really. That isn't it? Just, just enjoy totally, what, yeah. uh, enjoy everything. Yeah. Don't, don't do anything you don't want to do. Don't put yourself in a situation you don't like. Yeah. Just, you, you know, something my dad said. You, you, there's only one bus ride, so make sure you're on the right bus. And if you're not, get off it and get on another one. That's kind of how I like to look at things now. So that's, that's so true, <laughs> Dave. Before we kind of finish up, finishing up, Dave, anything else you wanted to to add in? Anything else you wanted to ask? No, that, that, that's absolutely uh, absolutely amazing, Andy. Yeah, um, I can't put anything positive, uh, any better than you've already said. Yeah, I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> anything else you'd like to, to plug, Andy? Any, anything you'd like to us to, to link to or share to that we uh, can well, plug yeah, in the I've, show I've notes got a, at the I've got an I've got an, a new Instagram page, um, which I'm kind of documenting the good, the bad, just everything. You know, I've, I've got I've got no filter, I suppose, when it comes to my stroke. So I'm not saying everything's positive because you know I'm still only three and a half years down the road. So um, it's a bit of a mouthful. It's Andy underscore stroke underscore of underscore look. So it's Andy Stroke of Luck, but there's underscores. So yeah, give me a follow on that um, mm. and you'll see everything. 
Um, we'll link to that into the so yeah. show notes as well. Yeah, perfect, we'll, we'll put those in. And uh, just we spoke a little bit about the the FAST acronym, which I know the NHS plug for the symptoms of stroke. Um, are you aware of those four? Can you, can you go over the, the four things to look out for? Um, oh my God, what are they? Um, I've do I, you know I do know, I've got them here. If you uh, <laughs> if you don't, could, I could you remind me? I've <laughs> forgotten them. <laughs> so so yeah, so we, we we've got FAST. The acronym FAST stands first. Put, the first thing to watch out for is the face. So look for yes. drooping of the face, drooping of the eyes. Ask someone to smile or show their teeth. A for arms. Ask someone to lift their arms up above the head um, and hold them there. Make sure they're you know they can't they're not dropping an arm to the side. Ask them to to speak and say a sentence. I know you said say the phrase chicken soup. Um, yeah. and look look out for any slurred speech or any garbled speech. And the T stands for time. So if you have any of those symptoms, it's time to call nine nine nine. And I think that's a good uh, a good message to end on that everybody should be should be aware of. You know, thank Absolutely. God that uh, you know your your wife was aware of that to uh, yeah. to, to pay yeah. attention for. Definitely, mm. definitely. Fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for joining us, Andy. You know, your story's been incredible, and thank you for sharing it. I know it's not easy to talk about, and uh, so thank you. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. It's been a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely amazing, Andy. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, thanks everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the next episode. Have a good day.